Hey, y'all. Thanks for checking out today's edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, uh, the full ride with Matt Green, because it is early on a Thursday. Uh, good morning to everyone tuning in for this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I appreciate that very much. Uh, Matt Green and myself do this uh, every single week uh, during the off season, twice a week during the regular season, but I uh, appreciate you uh, tuning in for this edition of the program. Um we got a lot to cover. College football, no offseason. Shout out to Josh Pate and the good folks over there at 247. Yeah, uh, unless you're a casual, there is no offseason in uh, in college football. So a lot to hit on. Uh, we talk about the new Big 12, really good piece by Adam Rittenberg on uh, the Big 12 and the future there with Oklahoma State and then four new arrivals, uh, Alabama, and why they're poised to dominate the 2023 recruiting cycle. Um, big time SEC transfers like Jackson Dark and Zach Evans, uh, Michigan State doing work uh, in the transfer portal this offseason. Shout out to Mel Tucker and what he's doing up there uh, in East Lansing. We do our full perspective on the Missouri Tigers, where they are as a program after coming off a six and seven season where, uh, yeah, the Tennessee Volunteers dropped 62, 62 big ones early on last year on uh, the Missouri Tigers on the road. So where they stand going into the 2022 season, in the SEC, we also hit on the college football rule changes that we want to see changed, uh, inspired by a really good uh, roundtable ESPN discussion um on espn.com that you can go check out but targeting uh, overtime rules all that and more on this edition of the full ride if you like listening to matt green and myself uh on this very podcast every week please do make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review on apple podcast spotify or however you are listening we greatly appreciate it uh, don't forget, you can watch us too. So if you want to watch the podcast, you can go to youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas podcast, and you'll find us. Uh, go ahead and like, subscribe, share it out, all that good stuff, comment, let us know what you think, and uh, email us any college football questions that you have for Matt or myself, Chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. What's up, everybody? The full ride here on the Chase Thomas podcast. We're back. That means fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green is in the house. He's coordinating his outfits now with the wall behind him, with the posters behind him. I appreciate that, Matt. One week it's Georgia. One week it's the Braves. The man doesn't own anything other than uh, Braves and Georgia merch is what we've learned here. Hey, how dare you, sir? I was repping uh, the Nighthawks last week, um, I, which mm-hmm. just reminded me I don't have any North Georgia stuff. Uh, but I need to get like a flag. Got to rep my my alma mater. But obviously, Georgia Georgia's the true fandom. Well, we got to get some stuff because you and I, we both got the the undergrad degrees at the University of North Georgia, but um, we're very much opposed on uh, the actual D1 fandom with uh, the University of Tennessee and the University of Georgia, Matt Green. It's everything's coming up Georgia for for these folks. I mean, oh, Stafford man. gets a ring. Um I, what, what did you make? Because you were one of those people. I have a couple friends. So shout out to not that Ryan Adams, one of my best friends, who is a diehard Georgia fan too, but he has been a Detroit Lions guy, born in Detroit, all that kind of stuff. So he's a Stafford disciple and him getting a Georgia title and a Stafford title uh, made me think of you too, because you're like those Georgia fans who weirdly, there's like a weird subset of folks who are from Atlanta who ended up following Matt Stafford to Detroit. And I, I don't know why that particular Georgia team 
just la- like it, it was just so important to a lot of Georgia fans because you had AJ Green, No Sean, and Stafford. Just people really, really loved that era of Georgia football and loved that top and talent. I don't know. It, Stafford, for whatever reason, brought a lot of Georgia fans with him to Detroit. I think a lot of them were pretty excited. So Georgia winning a national title and then Matt Stafford winning a Super Bowl ring. The thing about all that is I'm glad we're getting all of this out in one fell swoop so we can move on from all of this nonsense, move forward, get rid of all of it, all the great Georgia stuff. Now we're done. We can move on. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's just getting started, mm-hmm. sir. But um, yeah, I think it I think it makes sense because like no Sean and AJ Green are great players, but like George puts a lot of great players in the NFL. Like the quarterback, quarterbacks are just measured on team success. So it's just a little different for the quarterback position. This guy going number one overall. Like I knew multiple Auburn fans that kind of became Panthers fans because of Cam Newton. Uh, one of my best friends, huge Rex Grossman fan. That's actually like his all time favorite player, big Florida fan, huge Rex Grossman fan. And then so he like rooted for the Bears kind of because of Grossman because it's, it's team success is just always tied to the quarterback you know, fairly or unfairly. Um, so that's why it's like, at the end of the day, I was a Georgia fan and a Braves fan and I didn't really have an NFL team. I cared more about what Georgia players were doing in the NFL and my fantasy team than the Falcon success. So once a Georgia big time, Georgia quarterback got in the NFL it was like, well, I want them to win the Super Bowl more than any other team. I think that by default makes me a fan of that team. I think I guess that's how it works. But um, but yeah, man, what a year! Twenty twenty one into twenty twenty two, getting off to a great start. Just every team I've wanted to win a championship, just winning championships. I um, I don't even I don't even care who wins it. College should I, should I choose who I want to win college basketball right now? And maybe that'll happen too. Like I don't I don't even know. It's uh, well, you're speaking my language because uh, one of the bigger key differences between my school and yourself is with the University of Tennessee being an everything school that people forget about from time to time. Um, <laughs> the University of Tennessee whooped, whooped the University of Kentucky last night. They're talking uh, national title, Final Four. What does the Tennessee Volunteers do? We're streaking, man. The Vols cannot be stopped as of late. Uh, you lose Olivier Kumois for the year. Guess what? Just motivates us. You have a Kentucky strength and conditioning coach pulling Zakai Ziegler, getting into it, like getting teed up and just motivating us. Kennedy Chandler getting in his rhythm. I mean, just all kinds of uh, orange and white optimism. Uh, I can tell you like, you're not going to see a lot of Georgia fans camping out Stegman at two o'clock in the afternoon on a, on a Tuesday for uh, a big college basketball game. But you know what you will, where you will see that you'll see that in Knoxville. You'll see that for football games. You'll see that for uh, women's basketball games on Sunday when we got Don Staley in the house. Um, You'll see that um, this weekend with Tennessee baseball opening back up. We'll be there for Lindsey Nelson. I'm excited for that weekend. I am preposterously, preposterously excited for this weekend of college baseball. I'm so excited to have that back in my life, um, especially with Major League Baseball. Maybe let's not be, let's back be clear. this year. Basketball is like the only one of those things that Tennessee is really better than Georgia at. No, incorrect. Uh, I mean, women's historically, basketball. women's basketball, <laughs> but Tennessee women's basketball isn't like a. It's been a while since they've been been the been the powerhouse they once were, right? I mean, we're a top ten program right now. But Georgia's what 15, 20? Like Georgia's like a good women's basketball, like nothing, nothing crazy. But like same with baseball, it's like mm-hmm. they're they're a quality team. Like okay, softball, in- they're a quality team. Like they were in the the 
softball college world series last year. That was right? Tennessee. Or two years ago. No, in mm-hmm. the actual finals, I think, right? I think Georgia lost to Oklahoma. Is that right? Mm. I could be I'm not sure. Ring. I'm not I'm not the best with college with uh women's softball, but right. uh yeah. Let's let's just pause the break. Let's let's not act like Tennessee doesn't want to be a football school more than any of those things. No, I want everything because it's a yearly I like the calendar. I want to not just like check out for three months like Georgia fans have to do with their basketball season. They just have to check out and focus on something else because they don't want to think about the basketball program. And we're so, just getting number one overall picks over here. We got a quality mm-hmm. basketball program. See, Call that would me make when me Tennessee more mad. gets a number one overall pick. Okay, sir. That might be a while. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That might be a while. I don't think it with I love Rick Barnes to death, but I don't think you're going to get a number one pick out of. Hey, uh, Rick our play Barnes style. could recruit some guys at Texas, though. He could. I mean, he could recruit yeah, here. Kennedy Chandler, Aldridge, Keon Johnson, Kevin Durant. Yeah, TJ Ford. Shout out to all those guys. Um, well, Matt Green, we are going to talk about a multitude of college football things because, like a uh, friend of the pod, Josh Pate says, there is no offseason in college football. It's a casual thing. He had a really good uh, episode today about the what what the truths and lies in college football. I don't know if you checked it out earlier. I actually but did listen to that. Yeah, it was good. Um, so good folks go check that out. But uh, yeah, the content machine rolls along Matt Green. And there's a couple things that I wanted to hit on here on the full ride. Um, Nigel the Nighthawk, before we got started, he dropped some news off that I wanted us to hit. So shout out to Nigel. Um, the new Big 12. So this is where I want to start. Um, there's been a lot of folks who have been wondering like, okay, you lose Oklahoma, you lose Texas. They're not a group of five program or not a power five program anymore. You lose two staples, but what they're really losing and what this piece by Adam Rittenberg, uh, on ESPN.com that everyone should go check out if they've not already done. So is that they're not really losing the on the field product. They're losing brands. And there's a difference between losing the brands versus good football And I found so many little things interesting there where Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State sees themselves as a sleeping Clemson giant, which is super interesting because if you remove Texas and Oklahoma from the equation, they should be considered the favorites to kind of make that leap. And if they get the buy in from the donors and if he is if Gundy is able to get the boosters and get enough people to buy into this program and do the kind of stuff that Dabo was able to do at Clemson where Clemson just suddenly had a monopoly on a weak ACC. Oklahoma state's probably thinking the same kind of thing is we can, we can do this and that's no shot uh, at Baylor, Iowa state, any of these other programs. It's just that Oklahoma state was the highlight here and we've seen um, the most consistency, I think out of them, uh, the remaining big 12 schools, but I don't think it's a doom and gloom type situation. It felt like that when Oklahoma and Texas first left. But when you read that piece and you read the quotes and you you kind of think about where uh, Baylor's going, they just extended Dave Aranda long-term. You've got Oklahoma State in there. You've got TCU, who, I mean, the, they're another sleeping giant, I think. Um, but you're also getting four football programs that are, are really, really good. Like these are all stable football programs that are actually going to make the Big 12 a better football conference. Texas is a name. Texas has struggled. Texas has not been UCF. Texas has not been BYU. They have been better programs on the field. Wins and losses matter with this sort of thing. And I was kind of um, I was kind of stunned by this stat. So in the piece, he says, quote, the Big 12's four future members, Cincinnati, who just went to the playoff, 
Houston, BYU, and UCF had a combined record of 44 and 10, all but UCF placed in the top 20 of the final AP poll. I mean, they're just getting four programs that I think you and I can agree are on the upswing that are only going to get bigger, that are only going to go grow stronger. And you read in the piece that they're all preparing for this move and have been preparing for it for a while. I don't know. I got pretty fired up about the future of the Big 12. What about you? Yeah, same. I um, I thought one thing that was kind of cool reading that was, I guess I'm not really aware. I'm not, we're not as close. We're not in Big 12 country, right? Well, mm-hmm. what is Big 12 country now? It's the entire United States, mm-hmm. basically. But so I'm not as dialed in necessarily to the Big 12. And, but you saw throughout the year, just little, little, little bites here and there of just how just how salty the rest of this conference was with Oklahoma and Texas, just the sec chance after, after beating Oklahoma or beating Texas, like it was, it was good stuff. So to, to, for, for that to kind of be like blindside the entire conference right before the season started and for Oklahoma state and Baylor, kind of the, the presumed best of the rest to represent the big 12 last year was kind of a poetic justice. I feel like for the 2021 season, I definitely think Oklahoma state is kind of the best positioned. Although I think Baylor is, is kind of right there. Oklahoma state has, has competed much more consistently over the last decade plus than Baylor. But um, as far as the new teams go, I think Houston is kind of the one that we all sleep on because we've seen Cincinnati in the playoff. We've seen BYU have Zach Wilson and like be undefeated for a while. Like we've BYU is, is a known brand. You know, they've, we've, they have a history as well. Like we've seen central Florida go undefeated claim national championship. BYU won a national title. Yeah, exactly. It was like 19, 1990, it, 1989, yeah. somewhere around Something there. like that. Yeah. Um, 90 is a, well, that's Georgia tech, Colorado, but mm-hmm. Houston is the one I feel like people are kind of sleeping on because they seem like they're ready to take a, a TCU esque jump. Be, just going from group of five to power five being in that hotbed recruiting grounds. That is the state of Texas, specifically the Houston area. Like I think Houston has the chance to become like an instant contender in this conference and and just like by default become a national brand because if you can be good in this conference you can you can be a national brand without a doubt and Houston's it's not a small school it just kind of it kind of feels that way because they haven't been a power 5 conference in football like you've seen them have as good a success as anybody in, in, in at times in basketball. So. I mean, they're one of their top 10 team again this year. Kevin Sampson's got that team. Like Houston's not going anywhere basketball. They have a strong program. Like you said, it's in a hotbed. It's in a great recruiting area in, uh, in Houston. I wonder if they'll start to compete more for those LSU kids that traditionally go the LSU route or the old miss or the Mississippi state route. I'm going to guess that they're able to get in more on, uh, on those kids. So Daniel Holgerson's got a good thing. He was able to retain his DC, uh, I think they got a pay bump, so they got more buy-in. It's interesting you threw out Houston. I was not expecting that because I would say, for me, I would have them as number four because I I don't know. For me, I think number one for me is pretty clear is Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati, is. they just also extended Luke Fickle. They're another sleeping giant. Like This is another thing where they've proven that they can win with low resources and limited resources, rather. Now you put the Big 12 resources in there. 
I don't know. I think this is a, this is, they can't, they're in Ohio and they're always going to compete with Ohio state and a lot of big 10 country for players, but I don't know. Like they have a really stable, great program at the moment. And I'm curious to see if that translates, but they're going to be a powered powder keg from, from the get go. And BYU, my thing with BYU though, is just the recruiting. Like I am still curious if they run into a wall with the kind of kids that they can get. So being it, I mean, but they've always had that certain type of kid that goes to BYU, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a very like niche school to want to go to, to begin Mm -hmm. with. And now they're actually seem like a more legit program on the college football from, from a competition level. Mm -hmm. I think they only, they only do better. I would think. Well, it's also just my main thing is what happens on the field on, on Saturdays. And I'm not concerned as much about the playoff as a lot of other folks, because my main thing with the big 12 and, I'll, I'll pose this question to you, Matt Green. If you had to sack, if it was, if this was just Texas, if they just lost Texas and they gained these four schools, I think we would all just be like, "Wow, the Big Twelve is in unbelievable position." If you just lost Texas to the SEC and kept Oklahoma, because Oklahoma has just been so consistent, it's just been so good for that conference, and still feels way more Big Twelve. Like you can actually make me feel like Texas is in the big is in the SEC. Maybe that's just because A and M's been in there for so long now. That I'm just like that would feel right. It wouldn't actually feel all that weird. Oklahoma is going to feel weird for me in the SEC. The geography too. They're actually they're all the way south. Yeah. So it it doesn't. I don't have to stretch my imagination uh, all that much to get Texas in the in the SEC. Um, But Oklahoma would have been the thing. But it's just like not having to deal with the headaches. That was another part of this uh, that just Oklahoma and especially Texas brings to this conference. They just move on. They just get four hungry programs that are well-established and bring winning products and fun products. Like BYU's fun. UCF's fun. Houston's fun. Like these are programs that could do more with more resources. And it's just an exciting time, I think, for the Big 12. And like I said, to bring it all back, is I am excited to see what these games look like. I think the regular season with the Big 12, with these new members is going to be extremely fun. And I just think people, if you're worried about the marketing without Oklahoma and Texas, I get that. But from a fan perspective, I think the Big 12 is going to be a better conference to watch going forward. Um, I mean, I could understand what you mean as far as that goes. And to be fair, I also would rank Houston right now as the fourth best team okay. program of these teams coming in. I just think they're kind of getting lost because of the recent success of these other teams that mm-hmm. they kind of have some, some sleeping giant ness to them. You know, I'm not necessarily calling them a, a sleeping giant, but mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a great like experiment, like for the group of five versus power five debate, really like it's, it's hard to say because taking Oklahoma and Texas out of the Big 12, well, that now makes it a weaker conference. So if Cincinnati and Central Florida come in or BYU come in and have immediate success, it's like people can argue, always argue whatever side they want to argue. It's, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're having success because that conference isn't good anymore, you know, and that sort of thing. But you also you could potentially see these teams come in and they don't have the level of roster that some of these big 12 programs have and it would be interesting if if they don't necessarily have the uh the immediate the immediate success they might expect but but yeah i think cincinnati is we've seen them like in the college football playoff they're a, they're a big time program at this point like just joining the big 12 i'm i'm curious to how how they're going to go divisions 
Mm-hmm. Are you uh are you a north south guy or are you an east west guy? I think with the Big 12 it makes more sense to go north south, right? So I was looking at it. Uh-huh. North south I think is the way to go. Okay. North south gives you Cincinnati, West Virginia, BYU, Iowa State, Kansas and Kansas State. The south at that point would be Oklahoma State and then all of the school, uh, Oklahoma State, Central Florida, and then all of the schools in Texas. So mm-hmm. Baylor, TCU, Houston, Texas Tech. You Ooh. might want to split up Houston and or um, Baylor and Texas, or excuse me, you might want to split up Oklahoma State and Baylor because those are like the two best right now. Mm-hmm. But I think the North and South would probably be the way to go. It's 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 kind of crazy. I was looking at it on a map, like mm-hmm. <laughs> how like down the middle, like geog- geographically, so many of these schools are like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could just you could throw them in the throw them in the west, throw them in the east, like if you want to. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how they do that. As long as they stay away from legends and the leaders, they I think they're in good shape. Have they announced what they're going to do with that? Because I know the conference title game will be coming back, but have they announced how they're gonna if they're going to bring back divisions? Yeah, so I think like a month ago, maybe not even they were they were talking about how they're going to split it up because mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Texas, you know air quotes are, are joining the sec in 2025. So right. This is what I remember. About, yeah. Where yeah, they have to play in this mm-hmm. divisions for like two years and then mm-hmm. just going to six team divisions and six team divisions is great. Like I loved the sec schedule when it was an eight game conference schedule. You played half of the sec West every year and it kind of rotated. You played everyone in the sec twice in like a four or five year period, mm-hmm. at least from the other division. So 12 and, and the big 12 will finally be 12 teams again so that, that's that's the best part of all of this but yeah i'm um See, I'm I don't also even, are skeptical. we sure about that though are we sure that they don't just add memphis and somebody else in the next couple of years before texas and oklahoma leave because i still think they're going to add memphis and somebody else i don't think they're done i don't know is memphis but i think you have to have add two like who else yeah. could they get uh memphis i mean who was oh colorado state is a possibility. I don't feel like if you're going out west, I feel like you should go like a San Diego State, Fresno State kind of a team that's not like Colorado State. Wyoming that's lower the level. I not a Boise Wyoming State. guy. Like Boise State. Boise is a good one. Yeah, that's who we're forgetting. Boise. I think the problem with Boise was like their numbers. Like they're super small. Um, I think that's something that's nice. held them back. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think Memphis is inevitable in the Big 12 at some point, and I think they'll get somebody else. Boise would be cool, though, um, especially for the football product. But um, I don't know. Colorado State would not surprise me either. And then do they just become Conference USA? Do they just do they just steal that name? Like, I don't know. No, Conference USA, though. Shout out to them. The Petty Kings. We stand the Petty Kings, Conference USA putting Marshall and company on the schedule for this fall, even though they're trying to get out and go to the Sun Belt, It's incredible. I, I love the scheduling uh, drama. Have you been keeping up with that? Yeah, I've seen a little bit about it. Like the schedules are announced and they're on the Conference USA schedule. Yeah. Like, that, what are they, yeah. they going to do about that? I don't know. Like this is going to get ugly, man. I, I cannot wait to see. But the fact I'm not surprised though, because I remember reading, um, a few months back when this was all happening and they were fighting against certain programs leaving for the Sun Belt, And I remember the CUSA president was really upset about how this was all going. And they're like, uh, we're going to fight this and we're going to fight this to the end. And I, 
I'm not surprised that they have taken this approach. I mean, it's a losing approach. It's like, you're going to lose this battle. They're leaving, whether you want them to leave or not. And if you're unhappy about the circumstances behind them leaving, I get all of that. They're gone. They're leaving. And this pettiness is not going to ultimately change anything. You're just uh, making some waves um, before they go out the door, making life painful. And who? It's Southern Miss, Marshall. Marshall. And someone and else. Old Dominion? Is yes. That? Yeah. Interesting. Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. Marshall and the Sun Belt. That's just... <laughs> the Fun Belt, man. I, the they make a lot of is, sense. Yeah, the Sun Belt's going to be must-see, man. The, the Fun Belt is going to be... I mean, it already is a great conference. If they could like, just get Boise State in the Sun Belt, then you just have like all the former like FCS powerhouses. You got Marshall, Georgia Southern, App State in there. That's what I'm saying. The Sun Belt is basically North Dakota the, State up there. We'll, we'll figure some things out. But the problem is they're all on the East Coast. Like the Sun Belt actually makes sense geographically. Like they're one of the remaining conferences that actually care about the geography of the conference. So um, going up Are and you down. Saying the line, that Columbia, Missouri is not in the Southeast. No, Are you implying that, sir. I might be implying that. I might be implying that. No, Columbia, and also Missouri is in the East in the SEC, which will never not be hilarious. That. Missouri is in the eastern side. It's also uh, in the name like Southeastern Conference. You can kind of mm-hmm. get a little liberal with it. Uh, just expand a little. With Atlantic Coast Conference, mm-hmm. there's you can't Louisville is not on the Atlantic Coast. Like it just it just isn't. Notre South Bend, Indiana is not in the Atlantic Coast. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens, Matt Green. Um, let's hit um the Alabama 2023 recruiting cycle because this is fascinating to me because brian harson uh he won at least for one more year the man's not leaving he went full uh what's the guy from wolf of wall street what was his name jordan belfort um he's not leaving he's not effing leaving hey that's and that's a that's a win for me right there right you said you said harson was gone right i i and did he be the coach in 2022 I did because i'm still stunned that he won this you were right you were Put right the board. <laughs> there you go matt um, but I will pull like I'm going to add to this is a double or nothing situation. I don't think he is the coach this time next year. So we'll just go ahead and add this. I think he bought himself a year because the buyout drops significantly after this year. So um, I think part of it was they were not going to be able to fire him with cause for cause. Rather, they didn't find anything in that uh, just the snooping. So I think it's just a lot of money to pay buyout money for Gus and Brian Harson is succession. But um i don't know where there's smoke there's fire and i just don't think this is a marriage that is uh going to last but all that being yeah, said the reason there well part of the reason that i don't think it's built to last is because the recruiting no matter what the sec i mean part of what's going to hit auburn hard and why this job i think is actually going to be harder than it used to be is you're just going to be compared to georgia and alabama and right now that is the worst worst situation to be in with what Kirby and um, Nick Saban have built because those two run college football. Now they are the two Kings of college football and the two best CEOs of college football. Yeah. In the last five years, they've played in the national championship twice against each other. Like that's insane. And that's what he's up against. But the way to go up against uh, Kirby and Nick is not to go, you know what? I'm going to X and O these, these suckers to death. 
That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a hard ass and I'm just going to, I'm going to do the Clark Lee approach where uh, I'm going to build with, uh, with the guys that want to be here. I'm going to, I'm not focusing on the five stars. I'm not, I'm not going to any Bo Jackson charity golf tournaments. You know what I'm doing? I'm hitting the tape. I'm grinding hard on how we're going to out scheme uh, the Georgia Bulldogs with Zach Calzada under center. That's what I'm going to do. Um, that Bo Jackson charity golf tournament, that hits you hard. I just, I love that. The flex, that's something I would do where it's just like that, that kind of flex to just be like, yeah, the greatest player and most beloved Auburn player maybe ever. I'm just going to skip his thing on in my first year. I'm just going to go and skip it. And then I'm going to have my assistants go and answer for me. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I just love the flex. Like it's a proxy. Yeah. Like I love that. That's insanity. Like that is insanity. That that was a decision that he made. Um, All that being said, um, it would be like, I don't even know who, I guess Herschel would be the equivalent for, for UGA skipping something big, but now that's a little bit more divisive because he's running for, uh, the Senate sure. office in the state of Georgia. So I guess it's a little bit different now. Um, all that being said, I think this is so fascinating because the timing could not be worse for the state of Alabama to put out through eleven or is I think it's eleven top one hundred kids in the twenty twenty three recruiting cycle because Brian Harson has to take advantage of how much Alabama talent there is in this upcoming class. It's a rarity. Like Alabama is not a terrible recruiting state, but it's not Georgia. It's not Florida. It's not California. It's not one of those hotbeds. It's not Texas. It's okay. Like it's, it's okay. Yeah. Without a, yeah. You go back the last like five, six years, there's mm-hmm. no more than five top 100 players coming out of yeah. the state of Alabama. I think that's the most, of any year just kind of going back and looking at some there's one year where justin ross was the only top 100 player coming out of the state of alabama and that was only Hmm. four years ago so yeah to see 11 coming out of the state of alabama Mm -hmm. that's um that's massive and you just know how alabama is gonna they're gonna get the guys they want without a doubt exactly especially not if 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 auburn is in whatever sort of flux they're in right now Auburn cannot allow Kirby to go into Alabama and Clemson to go into Alabama and take a lot of these kids. Like he's going to lose some to Nick. Like that's part of the deal. Like you don't have to worry about that part of it. Like that's it's Nick Saban, but like you cannot lose the recruiting battle with this, these kids with Kirby and with Dabo and uh, even with Sark um, and Jimbo. Like you just can't like that cannot happen um, in this cycle or that's it. So I think this cycle is actually going to be a defining point for Harson is if he cleans that up and he fixes the recruiting stuff and he gets some of these big kit, like big name kids from the state of Alabama and he makes those connections over the course of the next year, then maybe he sticks around. But if he doesn't and they lose out on the majority of these superstars from the state of Alabama, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't see him able, that means he didn't get it. He didn't learn from it. And that's just where you're at. What, yeah. They definitely need to see improvement on the, on, on the recruiting trail. That seems more difficult for the 2023 class than having an actual good team in 2022. Hmm. That seems like a more obtainable just because of all the negativity in recruiting is just like PR and everything, right? Like there's so much negativity and whatever is going around and the donors, how much pull they have, like all the kinds of things with Auburn. The only thing he can focus on is having a good 2022 (laughs) season. Like how many games does it take for Brian Harson to, to keep his job 
like an eight and four or something. Like we know, I don't like we. I don't know Auburn's schedule off the top of my head. I know it's they played the SEC West plus Georgia and Penn State. So and Bama, like they have Georgia and Bama. Well, yeah, on the I'm saying all the SEC West plus yeah. Penn State and Georgia. So like you know it's going to be a ridiculous gauntlet of a schedule. So it's like if they if they go eight and four, like you have no business firing this guy. Like Auburn is in such a weird position right now. Like. Like is is Brian Harson owed an apology right now? No. What do you think? No. Like if they didn't find cause, it's this cause. This is essentially I hate a rumor, <laughs> right? This is essentially a rumor that no one really proved to well, be true. No, part of it because if you so what um, on, on Auburn Undercover, which is a great new website uh, by Justin Ferguson and some plugged in Auburn folks, they had some really good reporting on this. So it was a multitude of things. It was triggered because of all the kids who went in the portal. Like there's a multitude of reasons that this investigation started. So they were like trying to figure out because uh, some people were saying there was mistreatment. There were because some of the transfers uh, had some choice words about Brian Harson. Some didn't, uh, but they lost, I think, the third most of any power five school in the portal um, this cycle. So I think there was just like this mass exodus that they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. we got to see what's going on here. So there was a lot of rumors and a lot of stuff on the field plus the booster pressure. Like, I think there was a multitude of reasons that he got an investigation thrown his way to figure out, Hey, do we need to stop the bleeding? Is there something real going on here that we can't come back from? Like, is there, is there some smoking gun, but like at the very least we need to do our due diligence because this is a problem. And um, this, this needs to be nipped in the bud if we can. That's fair. I, um, it, is there an investigation if if Tank Bigsby doesn't go out of bounds late in that uh, Alabama oh. game and they beat Alabama? And they, who did they play in the bowl game? I can't uh, even remember. Their, they lost the bowl game too, though, right? Yes, they've and lost five straight. Uh, they've lost, yeah, because they they started off six and two and they lost five straight in the year, um, which is crazy. Auburn was six and two at one point last year. Um, yeah, that that is the craziest part. Uh, but there was something, hold on, what were you we saying before that? There was something else I was going to mention about the Auburn stuff. What What did we say before that? Um, I don't remember now. There's something else I was going to say about it, but I don't remember. Oh, I know what it is. Because um, you mentioned Tank Bigsby. He put his name in the portal and some prominent F- uh, CFB people said that if Bigsby, if Harson is not able to successfully talk Bigsby out of the portal, he's gone. So like that was like the end. <laughs> is like him keeping tank is was a huge saving grace. Cause like Bo Nix, you get like everyone around Auburn. It seems like they understood it because he was the homegrown kid. His dad was a star there. He had a lot of pressure. He's been through a bunch of coordinators. He's already graduated. Um, and he's like, all right, I need to get to the league and it's not happening at Auburn. And I need to, I need to change the scenery. So no one really faulted Bo Nix or Harson for, for that dissolvement. But if you lose Tank Bigsby too, it seems like that would have been the the nail in the coffin this offseason if he had lost uh, Bigsby too, who he almost did. Yeah, I could see it. Um, and by the way, they lost to Houston 17 mm. in the uh, Birmingham Bowl. Who could forget? Um, uh, that, that Tuesday afternoon game. That was pretty quality for uh, for us us remote workers to have a, a nice college football game on in the middle of a Tuesday. Um, well, here's their schedule. They get Mercer and San Jose. So here's the cool thing about Auburn's schedule is they got a lot of the games they need at home at home. They've got Arkansas at home. They got AM at home and they've got uh, LSU at home and Missouri at home and Penn State at home. Like 
a lot of their biggest games are in Auburn. So that is something that's going for Brian Harson. But when you've got Penn State, uh, LSU, Georgia at Old Miss, Arkansas at Mississippi State, AM, and uh, Alabama, and they got Western Kentucky uh, mic- uh, mixed in there uh, towards the end of that schedule. I don't know. I see four to five losses here. And uh, four is best case scenario. And I'm I'm leaning more towards like six and six, seven and five. And I don't know if that keep that saves his job because I don't know. This is a it's a tough schedule. Yeah, like you said, some of the a lot of those swing games like Ole Miss and Mississippi State for those to be on the road, it's like we're kind of already penciling in Georgia and Alabama, regardless of where the game is played. Um, but for some of those swing games to be on the road. Yeah, I could see it being six and six. Oh, shoot. Could even be worse. Who knows? I mean, if it's Bo worse, Nicks he's for, definitely gone. I mean, for everything that was talked about, Bo Nix, like he's better than Zach Calzada. But I mean, we might not see it's, um, who am I? I'm blanking on his name, Finley. TJ Finley should still be the starter, right? I mean, no way he's an open competition now, right? Well, I think it's a open competition. I, I've heard that they're not even done. Like, I think this is the other thing that because there's no rules in college football anymore, the transfer portal, the other big part of it is after spring practice. So there's going to be quarterbacks who go into spring practice wondering where they sit in the depth chart, and then they'll see kind of where they're headed um, after the spring. So there's going to be a lot of summer transfers ahead of the fall. So ahead of fall camp so there's gonna i think auburn's gonna look to see which quarterback falls out of favor at some of these other schools and then add one more to the mix would would be what i'm thinking i think it's gonna be an open competition i would i I don't think we have any idea who's gonna be under center week one for auburn as of yet we don't know a lot about what auburn's bringing to the table next year that's true we do know that Taven jackson modeled his throwing style after patrick mahomes and aaron Rodgers. we do know that people forget so that's good that's Hopefully a good it's thing. As good as those guys. I mean, who could? Who says no? Um, the five key transfers uh, in the SEC. So I thought this was interesting from the good folks at On Three, uh, who put this together. Um, I wanted to hit this because I want to get your perspective on these names and who do you think of the five makes the biggest difference um, in 2022. We got Jarek Bernard Converse uh, LSU corner. We've got Jackson Dart coming into Old Miss from. Uh, USC. We've also got Zach Evans, former five-star kid, bounced around a lot um, and left TCU after the coaching change. He's uh, joining Kiffin, so you got Dart and Evans there now. Jameer Gibbs to Alabama from Georgia Tech. And then you got Osiris Torrance to Florida, who uh, transfers from uh, Louisiana and follows his old coach, Billy Napier. Of the five names, who who intrigued you the most and who do you think uh, is the biggest impact guy this fall? I feel like if we're talking numbers. Mm-hmm. I feel like Jameer Gibbs seems like the safe bet to like, he's going to have the best season, okay. right? Like just fitting in with Alabama. Like I feel like they're, they're in need of a running back and he's just going to be running behind a good offensive line. Everything Alabama has, we know what Alabama is. I feel like he's the safe bet. I really like Zach Evans though. Like, I feel like, like he only played six games last year, averaged over a hundred yards a game. Like, he's an explosive athlete. Like, I could see Lane Kiffin knowing how to get Zach Evans involved and him be a weapon. Jackson Dart is the one that – are we overrating Jackson Dart? Like, three starts versus – it was at UCLA, Cal, I think BYU maybe. 
Mm-hmm. Like, are we sure this guy's going to just come into the SEC West and just be able to ball out? Like, I know Lane Kiffin is a, you know, a great quarterback coach and everything, but he's one I wonder if people are kind of, kind of just a little too, a little too hype on for me, too much hype for me for on Jackson Dart. Well, I think it also just the thing about Dart that I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, because I remember at Grayson, we were on Fred Cup Rebellion a few weeks back. And I mean, what we saw from Luke Altmeyer, who picked Ole Miss, he's a Starkville kid and spurned the hometown Bulldogs to go to Ole Miss. He did not look good in any snaps. Like he was not a kid who looks he was all that promising. And when you go from Matt Corral, potential first round pick, you're expecting some sort of drop off. But if you get Dart in there, like the upside to keep this thing moving and not lose any momentum because Kiffin just guided this Ole Miss team to its first 10-win season in program history. So Dart is a bridge that keeps this thing moving. And with how competitive the SEC West is, you couldn't take a risk on somebody like Altmaier. So at least Jackson Dart has the upside at least for a couple of years to keep this train moving, keep the lane train moving. And Zach Evans is part of that where it's like, you've got to keep this moving. Cause guess what? It's not just you fighting for that next spot behind Alabama. It's A&M who just bought the best, sorry, Jimbo just bought the best recruiting class ever. And then you have, How dare you, sir. <laughs> and then you have Arkansas who is not going anywhere. Pittman's building a beast. Arkansas was, they lost two games two games last season that were not to the national title contenders or national championship game uh, participants. That's huge. Their only two losses were non uh, CFP title guys. And I think that's in, in, it's incredibly important with the way we should look at Arkansas going forward. Cause I'm Who super are the high other teams on that beat Arkansas. I know Auburn. Auburn uh, beat let me see. They hmm. beat A&M. They didn't lost a dumb you, game. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. They lost a dumb game. I want to pull it up. It was someone who they should not have lost to. And I forgot. Let me see. Um, I was I was also surprised not to see Elias Ricks on this list. Mm. I, I think he's just oh, coming. It, it was Auburn. It was Auburn and Bama and where is it? Auburn. Oh, you said Auburn. Georgia. Uh, where is the other one? Why am I blank? Why can't I find that? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> Arkansas. Oh, Old Miss. That's what it was. They lost 52 ah, 51 to Old Miss. Okay. Oh, that's right. The um and they went for two at the end mm-hmm. there. So they're right there with Old Miss. I think Arkansas and Old Miss are going to be inextricably linked uh linked for the next couple of years. Cause I think Kiffin and Pittman, uh, I didn't mean to rhyme there, they're competing for that next tier behind Saban. And uh I don't know. I think it's interesting because I think those two are they building. They feel the like they're kind of built in opposite ways to mm-hmm. like Ole Miss is all flash, sexy. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is kind of building from the ground up kind of thing. Blue collar type <laughs> team. So it's kind of interesting. Ole Miss, I, I swear, I just almost forget about Ole Miss. Like they're obviously they had a great season, but it just it felt like like did they have a great season because they were Lane Kiffin? Like they took a step up or did they have a great season? Cause the sec West wasn't as good as it typically is with Auburn and LSU being just kind of down like A&M was, you know, they were a good team, but A&M was not what they were supposed to be in 2021 really other than just the one game they played Alabama when Zach Calzada had an out of body experience. Like Ole Miss is kind of the, the weird one. Like, I don't know, like Arkansas seems like, they're a team people forget about too. Like, cause you just kind of, 
in a lot of those swing games, you, they, a lot of people just pick them to lose. Like Ole Miss was exciting and Lane Kiffin's a, a hot name and everything, but I just, I kind of worry about how they're, how they're built for the long term. Like the whole transfer to the SIP thing. I don't know if you saw that. Like Mm-mm. he, it was like marketing, like just clothes, all t-shirts and hoodies that say transfer to the SIP. Like, and Lane Kiffin tweeted this out. It's like, that just seems like, I know the transfer portal is a thing. Like you got to try to get better however you can. I just, I don't know if Ole Miss is being built. Like if it's as sustainable as maybe what Arkansas is building right now. Okay. I, I don't know. Like, I don't have an answer for you, but see, that's the thing is I'm excited. Then you have like the wild card that is Mike Leach and what he's doing it in Starkville. So we'll see. And now you get the Brian Kelly element, the SEC West, man. It's just, the worst team in the West is just that, like, I, I don't know. It's like the best team in like three other conferences. Um, I don't know, but it's exciting to see, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. Um, and so I wanted to hit also this 247 article about the Big Ten's biggest winners and losers in the portal. And the team I wanted to highlight here, Michigan State, is doing work. Get Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard. So a pair of running backs because they lose Kenneth Walker, third uh, Heisman player. Um, he's gone, but you know what? He Mel Tucker in two years since he's been there, man, he is active in the portal. He's active in recruiting in general. Um, they're just, they're good, man. I think the Spartans are hitting everything the right way. Mel Tucker has this program. It's amazing how quickly he's turned it around, but I love the, the combination of Berger and Broussard. Broussard was really good for Colorado, and he was just in a bad situation since that coaching change. Speaking of coaches that are on the hot seat, who I don't think will last past this year, uh, shout out to Carl Durrell. Um, I don't know. I think they did a lot of good here. You get Illinois tight end, Daniel Barker. Um, there's just a lot of names to to like, and I'm, I'm incredibly interested. You still got Jaden Reed in there. Michigan State, I think we need to talk about like with Harbaugh getting this extension, Matt Green, and him staying at uh, in in Ann Arbor for at least a couple more years. Is who should who do you think whose stock are you buying more right now? Are you buying more Tucker Spartan stock? Or are you buying more Harbaugh stock because he got his team to the playoff? And for me, I think Michigan State's going to be in the playoff soon, and I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And if I had to guess, who's building more of a sustainable winner? because of Mel Tucker's more CEO approach than Harbaugh. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling Sparty. Like I'm, I'm feeling a little Sparty right now. I, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, the green Kool-Aid up there in East Lansing. What about you? Yeah, that's an interesting thing to say coming off of Michigan's college football playoff appearance. Like this is the best year we've seen from Michigan, I guess is part of your, your take kind of like you don't buy the Harbaugh's at Michigan long-term. Like, I don't think he's going to recruit this year, well. Maybe. I think yeah. Mel Tucker's coming. Like I think Mel Tucker is building a a machine in East Lansing. I just think we're still early on, but I don't think we're appreciating how quickly he's building this machine and the way he's doing it. The fact that, like, I just think college football is changing so rapidly that he has done a, an, an elite job of doing that. Like he is. It's a net positive. Every recruiting uh, indicator is just they love what Mel Tucker is doing in the portal in combination with uh, just recruiting in general. Like this man adapts and adapts and adapts. And I think that is incredibly important and imperative if you're going to be a CEO coach in the new college football landscape. 
And I don't know. I just think guys want to go play for him. And I think he's going to put a lot of the dudes in the league. And I think that offense was fun right away. And we were wondering if Mel Tucker would have a fun offense in East Lansing. And guess what? It's fun. It's good. People want to play there. Michigan State could have beaten Michigan last year. Like it wasn't like that was just some sort of blow. That was a really, really fun football game that went back and forth. Um, and Michigan State's problem last year that prevented them from being a college football playoff team was their defense. Tucker's going to figure that out. The offense no, Michigan was State. Michigan State did beat Michigan last year. I mean, yeah, they did beat Michigan. Why am I yeah, saying yeah. that? Yeah, they, they did Michigan beat Michigan was up big early, but yeah. Right. They came back. So that's what I'm saying. The broader point here is that they're there. And I think that's only going to improve. I'm just buying more Michigan State talk. I'll, I'll say this. I think Michigan State will be in the college football playoff in the next two years. In the next two years? Yes, I think now, in the next two that's years. That's a hot be. take right there. They're going to um, be, yeah. Looking at the recruiting, like 2021, it's hard to, you know, give Mel Tucker like too much about that class. But the 2022 class, like you saw Michigan got the only five star from the state of Michigan. But of the top, you know, six players in the state, Michigan State was was cleaning up and getting their fair share. Unfortunately, I think. Unfortunately for both teams, but fortunately for Michigan State, because of the pedigree kind of. Mel Tucker comes from to build that powerhouse. You have to do it. How Ohio state has built it. You have to recruit nationally, specifically the South, because that's where so much of the talent is coming from. And I think Mel Tucker has Michigan state in a better position to do that than Michigan, that Michigan brand still carries more weight as far as recruiting nationally goes. But if Mel Tucker is going to be accessing, uh, utilizing the portal like this every year, I, I could see them, them being in a better position than Michigan long term. I don't know. Right now it's hard to hard to pick against Harbaugh coming off his best year in uh in Ann Arbor though. Okay. We'll see. We shall see, Matt Green. Um well let's hit our main event. I will say last mm-hmm. thing I will say having a college football playoff appearance puts them on a on a on a level of college football that not a lot of other teams are at. Like uh, Auburn's never been to a college football playoff. Florida's never been to a college football playoff. Texas has never been to a college football playoff. So Michigan State does have that going for them. And I mentioned to see what Mel Tucker does. I would just, the full ride here on the Chase Thomas podcast, uh, we, we back Tucker and we're back in East Lansing and what they're doing up there. Um, we're back in Sparty. Don't get me started season. on my NCAA dynasty with Michigan State that just went to like 2030, which was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Now that's not even, it doesn't even seem that crazy to have a dynasty go to 2025. Goodness gracious. Uh, yeah, no, shout out to Jeff Smoker and Carlos Rogers and the crew back in the day. Shout out to those guys. Um, let's do our Mizzou full perspective, Matt Green. So Missouri goes six and seven last year. Eli Drinkwitz, um, let me see here. Yes, he lost 62 to 24 to the Tennessee Volunteers, where we ran for a gazillion yards on uh, Mr. Drinkwitz's team. Um, I think their defensive line coach actually got fired after that game. Um, so that was something. Shout out to Tion Evans, who's now at Louisville. So hate that. But that was one of the more fun games where I just was like, that was like one of those great uh, first quarter uh legendary first quarter that was probably let me let me just put this out there i think that was the most legendary first quarter performance from the hypo uh first quarter machine this season but um <laughs> who can forget 62 24 so either way the broader point here is missouri figured some stuff out late they they play it close against arkansas lose 34 17 
they lost the army in the bowl game, but they didn't have they had a bunch of dudes out. Uh, Roundtree didn't play. Their quarterback didn't play. They beat Florida in overtime. They beat South Carolina, and I was told South Carolina's back, folks. And then you get blown out by Georgia. Most teams got blown out by Georgia, unlike the Tennessee Volunteers who dropped seventeen, and people forget that. Um, you beat they, Vanderbilt. Tennessee didn't get blown out. No, Tennessee did not get blown out. That was not a blowout. 41-17? Is that what it was? We went for it multiple times inside the 20. We were playing to win the game. We were playing for points. Other teams would have kicked field goals to keep it more (laughs) close. Tennessee to give Georgia a tough two quarters. Mm -hmm. Um, But all that being said, still lost to Kentucky. Lost to Tennessee. um, Played weirdly close with a terrible Vanderbilt team. I don't know, man. Like Missouri, is, they recruited really well this past cycle. So you get Sam Horn. Uh, shout out to Gwinnett County. They had a five. They lucked out with a uh, five-star receiver being a local kid. So they get him in there. Um, I don't know. Like what being is a local kid and Lane, uh, Lincoln Riley going to true USC because he was also an Oklahoma commit at one point. Yeah, um, good point. So we'll see. I also Luther Burden and uh, Evan Stewart, the Texas A and M commit. I don't know if mm-hmm. you saw them both both throwing shade at the at the Georgia program. I don't know if you saw that. No, what happened? Saying that they basically the reason neither of them went to Georgia was because a, a tight end should never lead a team in receiving. And hold on, are we still calling Brock Bowers a tight end? That man's not a tight end. It's like Kyle exactly, Pitts is not a tight end. Exactly. If anything, you saw that Georgia had a really dynamic player and they got him the ball but mm-hmm. it was just funny to me because then i looked up missouri and missouri was led in receiving by a running back so <laughs> well they're also like tight in you that's weird because chase kaufman um they've had yeah. a lot of dudes they've had what's the dude's name tj mo they've had a they had a lot of good tight ends come out of the, the state of missouri um yeah that's uh, a weird daniel graham take. back in the D- day daniel graham see that's what i'm saying they're they're in Wait. there a little bit Hold on. No, Daniel Graham was Colorado. Was Colorado, wasn't he? yeah, I yes, think you're right. Um, God, we have so much useless, just old college football knowledge that is just locked away. That black our, and gold that threw me yeah. off. Well, it's just like locked away in our brain forever. Um, like I'm just gonna think about Todd Reesing every now and then. Just thanks. There's to also college. like your there's your prime years, like mm-hmm. the the 12 to like 17, 18, mm-hmm. where you had literally no responsibilities in the world. Yes. Just watch your sports and memorize everything. Play your video games. That was the thing, is it was so much fun to memorize. Like that was part of it. Like you said, like we just memorized uh, like you said, no responsibilities. And for dorks like you and myself, uh, especially me, I just memorized all of it like i got the... i took great pride in just knowing what college every player went to like on madden mm-hmm. you just see and look at their info and just scroll like oh okay you just 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 lock that just store that forever for no reason just just know it now absolutely well let's end on our full perspective though so what are you thinking like when you're looking at the full vantage point you're sitting atop columbia missouri you look at what you saw from this program last year with eli drinkwitz and you're thinking about where they're going in 2022 we talked about this last week of south carolina um where there's gonna be it, it's kind of like what's happening in the sec west where it's like okay what is the like what can ole miss really do can they really pass alabama can arkansas really get to that point where they win the SEC West and they can make the jump where it's like Missouri. It's like, are they, are they really that close to competing with Georgia for four quarters? Are they really that close to even competing with Tennessee for four quarters? Are they really that close to 
catching up with, I mean, cause I think Billy Napier is actually going to do some stuff at Florida and get that thing turned around pretty quickly. Um, I don't know. Like, are you an optimist based on what you've seen thus far with Eli Drinkwitz heading into 2022? I'm in an interesting position because I was kind of feeling them going into 2021. Like I thought this was a team that could win eight games, maybe due to a down SEC East, but you know, you had Hypel first year coach, you had uh Beamer first year coach, like, and they barely beat Vanderbilt also another first year coach. And obviously didn't they got blown out by Tennessee also lost to Boston college after Eli Drinkwitz was, talking smack about recruits coming from Massachusetts. So I was kind of high on Missouri, like as high as you can be, I guess, on Missouri going into last year. And so to see them go six and seven, and now I see the SEC East being better in 2022 than it was in 2021. Like you're going to have Florida kind of take a step back, but like South Carolina and Tennessee should both be better. Tennessee Tennessee, obviously, a step ahead of South Carolina. And then Kentucky, like there's no reason Kentucky should expect to be any worse in 2022. Like they're obviously going to have to find a replacement for Wandale Robinson on that offense. But Kentucky's been a solid program for several years now. So I see the East being better, and I don't see Missouri particularly being better. Like I don't – like Connor Bazelak I was higher on coming into last year than I will be coming into 22. Well, he's gone. He's in the portal. Wait, so oh wait, so who's the starting quarterback now? We don't know yet. It might be Sam so, Horn, true freshman or the Hill? kid from last year. Yeah. So yeah. So within that, there you go. That uncertainty at the quarterback position. Like Eli Drinkwitz, I'm just I'm still not sold on. Like we've like this offense, like for him to be an offensive guy, like you have to show me an explosive offense, you know? So you're you're limited with with your options at Missouri compared to compared to App State, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what Missouri can do this year. They never really have a tough out of conference. Like since joining the SEC, they've really played just about nobody at a conference. Kansas State has to be the most difficult game they've ever scheduled at a conference since joining the SEC. So that'll be interesting. That's that's not even a guaranteed win. Usually they can pencil in a four and zero schedule at a conference. So. Without even necessarily doing that, having Auburn from the West, having Arkansas from the West, I don't know. I don't see it's I would struggle to pick Missouri to go bowling right now today. Just so many uncertainties. Tyler Beatty gone. Like that was the best player on the team. Like so many uncertainties. Luther Burden, like, yeah, he could come in and be a star from day one, but if he doesn't have a good quarterback throwing him the ball, like it just doesn't really matter. Like AJ Green. Had Aaron, I mean, freshman Aaron Murray was good, but it still didn't amount to any wins for the team. So it doesn't really matter how good a, a wide receiver just doesn't seem like the kind of player that can can necessarily impact a game from a wins loss perspective. You just have to have you have to have the meat and potatoes to uh, to really get it done in this conference. The meat and the potatoes, he says. Um, I like it. Uh, well, let's and even in, Florida too. Like they beat Florida last year, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's what made a lot of teams feel good about yeah their season, South Carolina, beating Florida Mizzou. beating Auburn, and South Carolina beat both of them. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just that's a flex right there. And like Florida, like for all we know, they were checked out on Dan Mullen. It kind of seems like they were checked out on Dan Mullen. This might not be the rebuilding job they think it that some people think it might be the. SEC East rivals think it might be like 
it wouldn't surprise you at all if Florida was better than Missouri next year. And that's not even a team we're even counting on. Like we're, I was counting all the other teams that are not in their first year head coach. Like Florida could easily be better than Missouri. Absolutely. Well, let's end Matt Green on your favorite thing. Matt Green loves to fix college football and he loves to fix rules. He's not a fan of things like the two point conversion over time. Not a fan mm. of not a fan of that. He it grinds his gears. We should just call this the the Matt Green grinds his gears segment on uh, on this main event. I don't know. I feel like you would owe Family Guy some sort of uh, I don't know royalties. I don't know. Do they copyright that? Can you copyright? Honestly, that kind no. Of phrase? Family Guy. They probably didn't even make it up. I I was I was too young for so many of their references. Like there's so many mm-hmm. things that I first saw on Family Guy mm-hmm. and then saw what they were referencing years later is like, Oh yeah, that's like in family guy. Like, no family guy is like this thing. That's what they were referencing. Do you still watch family guy? No, I haven't watched it in years to be honest. Okay. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sculpted my, my, uh, adolescent personality. That's for sure. But it's been a while. I have a lot of DVDs, I think, still at my parents' house back when you yeah. bought DVDs. Like, I have, like, every, like, first, like, eight or nine seasons, like, on DVD somewhere tucked away in my old room back at uh, back at the house. I don't know what I'm going to do with this one day. <laughs> right. Just, who knows? I still watch South Park, but Family mm-hmm. Guy, nah, just... Okay. Uh, I'm a big American Dad guy. I love American Dad. It's one of my favorite shows. American Dad. I'm, if I'm going it. animated, I put Bob's Burgers over... It's a good one. Uh, over, over both of them. Archer was definitely the move. Like I used to, that was uh prime prime time for me. I was watching, I was Archer. I remember I used to go to Archer watch parties. Like that was, uh, oh, wow. yeah. Cause it, there's just something like Archer would always make me laugh out loud. Prime Archer is, I just, never really got much into Archer. Never oh, watched you're an Atlanta time. guy. You got to do it. It was made here downtown. And, um, John Benjamin, H John, H John. H John, John H. Benjamin. H John no, Benjamin. H. Yeah. He's good. So I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to give it a try. Great voice. Um, yeah, you would love you. Oh my goodness. Archer will never not crack me up. Um, well, all that being said, there were some rule changes. There's an article that we're going to cite here, Matt Green, but I'm going to leave the floor to you. How do you want to frame this uh, main event portion of the podcast? I figured you were just going to go line by line on what or rule by rule that ESPN was, was proposing. Mm-hmm. Is that, and, and then you can go one by one. I'm leaving right. the floor to you. This is your bread and butter. So the first one they, they got is taunting. No penalties for taunting, you know, horns down, like just do whatever. Gator chomp. If you're on the opposing team playing Florida, whatever, no throat slash. We'll, we'll do a throat slash. Yeah. We'll penalize that. It was kind of like uh, they said, like if, as long as no one crossed the line, who really cares? Taunting. I'm, I'm so, I'm so for it. Like, the NFL, the fact that like you, they care about taunting the way they do, it's it's terrible. There were some awful taunting calls this season. The second rule they have in here is stop using instant replay. I just can't sign on. I can't no. sign on for that. Replay has fixed a lot of wrong calls that you know potentially wrong calls. What I the one thing I would oppose because I mean I get the the anti replay people right. It's it can just kill the the momentum of the game. It it's one thing to kill it, like it kills it at your house, but when you're at the game, it kills it so much more. Like it's just, it can just be awful. Like eight eight like straight minutes of of no action <laughs> is like a lot. Like mm-hmm. if you're just standing here watching a field, waiting for the guys to play. So I get the wanting to speed up the game, like just the momentum of the game, all that kind of stuff. 
The one play, the one way I will agree with this in a way, I guess, I guess my version of this is all fumble, fumble calls, catch, no catch calls. And we're talking mm-hmm. possession, not necessarily a boundary call, like possession. And then the the quarterback, you know, incomplete pass or fumble, that sort of, all of those things should have to be reviewed in real time. You can't look mm. at any of those things in slow motion because if we look at things in slow motion, that's how baseball started ruining the transfer rule. Like we've understood what a transfer was in baseball for a hundred years. And now they're looking at it like, well, you know, he didn't quite catch it in his glove and he was pulling it out. I think he's safe. It's like, no, these guys are elite. And so they never all the way catch it. They, they're transferring it to their hand. Like it drives me crazy when I see that called wrong in, in major league baseball. And I feel like that's what we're doing with that famous Calvin Johnson one, you know, uh, versus Chicago that one year. It's like you look at it enough times. It's like, oh, well, he's kind of bobbling it there. It's like look at it in fast motion. Use common sense. We know it looks like a fumble. We know it is. He caught that all the way or he caught he dropped it too soon. Like we can see these kinds of things. So that's how I, that would be my suggestion for replay. But I still I like, like a guy steps out. We want to look at the boundary on the sideline or see if he crossed the plane. Like we got it. We got to. We have all these cameras. We need to be utilizing them and get the call right. Do you like that we every touchdown's automatically reviewed? Um yeah. That kind of slows it down because sometimes they look at it and it's just like, what are we doing? What are we doing? That's a clear catch. Let's move on. This is not need to be reviewed just for the sake of reviewing. We've seen that a lot. I don't know how you But those get, but those ones that are clear and obvious, they usually don't really cause any sort of delay in the game, do no, they? No, there's some delay. Oh yeah. I was at a couple of Tennessee games when it was when it was like that this year. Uh um, yeah, I can understand that. Like just use more common sense. I know that's a uh, a difficult mm-hmm. a difficult thing to do in today's today's uh today's age but uh the next one did you have anyone anything else on that one Mm -mm. the next one was this one i've been shouting for years the going down and nobody touching you and you're down in college versus being able to get up and run in the nfl that seems like Mm. a no-brainer like Mm -hmm. even in high school i'm not really sure why the rule exists (laughs) period in football you fell down and no one touched you get up and start running again like unless Mm -hmm. you gave yourself away gave yourself up like a quarterback that seems easy that it should probably apply to all levels of football but um i'm what what are you no disagreements on that one no not at all i think that one's pretty straightforward too for sure keep the clock and chains moving this is a good one i like this I do and I don't. Okay. I like their version of it because this is how I would do it. It would be because we got to do something about the length of college football games. Anyway, mm-hmm. that that NFL game, the Super Bowl, that was that was shorter than a normal game. Everyone's talking mm-hmm. about how, oh, the game was over by 10 o'clock. College football, you should learn something. And that's true, but that game was also shorter than a normal NFL game. Mm-hmm. So, but I do agree. These We got to do something. I like that. I like the idea of just not stopping it on first downs throughout the game. Like keep, keep it, keeping it moving and everything. However, in the final two minutes of each half, I still want to see the ball, the clock stop on a um, temporarily stop on a, to set the chains for first downs, because I just feel like that makes the end of college games so much more exciting than the NFL. Like somebody scores with 30 seconds left and you have no timeouts how many of those NFL games are even interesting after that? Like 
obviously Aaron Rodgers, you've seen Patrick Mahomes do some crazy stuff, just get someone in, in field goal range in like two plays. But the vast majority of the games, you basically need a miracle to be able to drive down the field with no timeouts. I feel like the college rule just makes it so much more entertaining at the end of the game. So I, I'm on I'm on board with not stopping it temporarily for every first down, but I would like to see it still in the final two minutes. I'd honestly like to see it in the NFL in the final two minutes. I just think it's I just think that's a better a, a better product for the fans. That's just me personally. Yeah, the NFL has this right. Like just do the NFL model. This is this is an easy one. That I, I follow the NFL model with this one. That's fair. This is one I'm not too I'm not I could go either way about. Okay. Um make overtime less gimmicky. I agree with this. So you know overtime no one is gonna agree. Here's the problem with this is there's never going to be a universal agreement on what overtime should be. There are people that love that love Matt Green, the NFL overtime rules. They love the previous NFL overtime rules. There are people that like the current college football overtime rules. There are people that like the previous one. It's just, you're never going to find this uniformity uniformity when it comes to overtime. Like you and I are going to disagree because I think we have different perspectives on what overtime should be. However, losing a game on a two point conversion, I just, I think we can all agree is pretty bad. I don't think that's a way to do it. And I also understand that it's like, it's a play issue. Like they want less plays. Um, because there are more plays in college football, because we're moving fast, because tempo is so prominent across the board, they want these guys getting less plays in their body. And I understand that. But we can do that without doing uh, the gimmicky uh, go for it on uh, the two-point conversion after the second overtime. We can we can do without that. There's a better way. Yeah, there's without a doubt a better way than they currently do it. So Harry Lyles Jr. was the one that mm-hmm. wrote this little section because a couple of different people wrote these uh, these different rule change ideas. Mm-hmm. I just disagree with him strongly. He says so there's <laughs> three. He said there's three ways to do this. Mm-hmm. Either go back to what it always was. Mm-hmm. Second is just only doing two point attempts, and that's all of overtime. Or third, you either have like two or three possessions of overtime and then if it's still a tie you just call it a tie those are his three suggestions and i just disagree strongly Mm -hmm. i i didn't mind the old overtime system i felt like like he kind of makes the same point i did like games like a&m lsu that didn't happen very much so like let's not like keep away from like a crazy thing from happening like it was a really cool game to watch so, and it just that sort of thing, it, it seemed like you were having a solution for a problem that didn't exist. Yeah. My thing is either go back to what it was from the 25, but I never even liked that because it was too easy. Like you, you get a three and out and you have a 42 yard field goal. Like you just went three and out. Like, why should you get any points? So if you, if they just did what the college system always was, but started from the 50, in my opinion, that would be the perfect overtime. Hmm. Both teams get a chance to score, but if they're trying to do this two point thing at what well, it started in third overtime, right? Mm-hmm. If they're trying to do this, the only v- way to do what they're doing is starting in the third overtime, you get four downs from the 10 yard line mm-hmm. and you get four downs to score a touch to score a touchdown. Essentially like that's, I feel like that's the only way to do it. I guess then I only, I don't know. You go for two after that. I'm not really <laughs> sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I haven't thought that far through, but the alternating two point attempts is just a terrible way. Like it feels like whoever the person who decided that was someone 
who had an obligation after the football game. Ooh, and they're like, okay. you know, I just need to get out of here. We yeah. need to, we've been playing for four hours now. Let's just declare someone the winner so we can all go home. Like that's, hmm. what it, that's what it feels like the person decided that rule. Like, yeah, it's going to end the game sooner, but like this, this player safety stuff, like you can go home with that. Like Ooh. we're, are we really changing the, the player safety of the game by overtime, an overtime college football game lasting like, I don't know, 12 plays shorter, 15, 20 plays shorter. Like that, is that really having any effect on the long-term health of the, of the players? I, I just don't really buy that. Okay. That's fair. Um, change how targeting is penalized. Yes. I think everyone can agree with this. However, what is your what is your preference for how targeting would be called? Um, I don't think it should be an ejection. I think that's something we should probably move on from. I don't think it's an automatic ejection. I think we should because I don't know. It, the ejection thing only works when it's called correctly and sometimes you miss it or sometimes you have to look at intent and that's sometimes hard to and like certain guys move their head at the last moment and there's just... I think it's still just such a subjective thing. And like you we're talking about things that don't happen very often. It's like those kind of things. I understand. I think you always err on the side of caution, but like, I think it's just should be the same as a personal foul. Like I think ultimately it's a personal foul. And maybe if you get two targeting in the same game, that's an ejection. Like maybe that's the key is like two technicals in basketball where I think maybe that's the way around it, where it's just, it can change the whole game. If you, uh, some guy just makes one wrong move there and I understand dangerous and you want that, but like we've seen that players are tackling differently. We've seen across the board that the sport is played differently defensively and guys by and large are not going about it and they're not taught to target. Like that's just out of practice. Like that is not what they're trying to do by and large. So I think the penalty is too is too high for me now. And I think it can change a lot of games. And I think it will eventually, if we expand the playoff, like we're going to see some playoff games flipped on uh, some guys getting uh, ejected for targeting. So I would probably switch it from one to two calls in a game. And I would just 15 yard penalty and uh, yeah, keep it moving. I also don't think it should be reviewable. Like we do it where it's just like in the moment, like what was your gut instinct? Cause that slows the game down too a bunch. Like that's another game yeah, thing that we slow really down. Bad. And so they're being taught, Oh, hard mm-hmm. hit in the secondary. Let me just throw a flag and then we'll go yep. review it and see if it happened. Like that's, that's just a terrible like thing to condition referees to do. Mm-hmm. Like you're just throwing your flag, you know, you're not really sure that anything, anything wrong happened. Yeah. Um. That's, that's an interesting, I've, I've I kind of like the idea about the two targetings, but is it like a yellow card situation? Because two yellow cards and you get uh, dismissed, whatever you want to call it in soccer, mm-hmm. ejected, and you also get suspended for the next game. So I think that's the biggest problem is this first half suspension of the next game. I think that's what's so terrible. Like I would be down also to go back to yellow cards and like the Premier League and World Cup competition. There's a a penalty for cumulative yellow cards you get. So you mm-hmm. can have one yellow card, four or five games in a row. Well, now you've gotten five yellow cards. You're suspended for a game. I think that would be a way to discourage the behavior, like maybe three targetings. And now it's an automatic one game suspension. Yeah. Something like that. Like in on a season, but I also like a face mask is a 15 yard penalty. 
do you see guys just go around grabbing face masks? So like, I mean, they do grab face masks, but it's not something guys just typically do intent. Like, is there a time you think a, a player makes a conscious decision? Like, Oh, uh, I'm just going to grab his face mask. Cause 15 yards is better than whatever was going to happen. Like, I don't think guys really grab face masks because a 15 yard penalty is a lot. Like if you just gave 15 yards for targeting, I feel like that would also discourage the behavior. Like, I don't, I know it, it, it is working. So like, I don't necessarily, the, the, the rule isn't going anywhere. It just, they have to do something with how it's punished. I don't, I guess we, neither of us necessarily have the, the best solution for it. I mean, just watch the game, watch the games now when we do our rewinds and we'll do that this, this spring and this summer, when we go back and watch them all games and we'll highlight it on this very podcast, but like watch the difference in the style of play, watch how defense is hit. Like, just look at how we hit the quarterback. 10 15 years ago it's a different game so i think now we have to adjust back where it's like okay there is no one taught to hit like this and when there is an instance of targeting it's by and large a remote there's we don't have these repeat offenders who are going for it multiple times in a game and it's just football is always going to be a violent game it's always going to be a gladiator violent sport but tackling and the way this game is played is just completely different like to be a linebacker in today's nfl you have to basically be a safety from the previous era like that's what you are now and i don't know i just think we can adjust now because those kind of hits and that kind of maliciousness is few and far between well and it's it's just a violent game right Mm -hmm. like you remember the kyle pitts uh the lewis scene hit on kyle pitts Mm -hmm. in 2020 like that was one of the like the more dangerous looking plays I've seen mm-hmm. as far as targeting goes. But then you look at the replay and it's like, well, the guy kind of led with the shoulder is a big six, five tight end running over the middle. Like I'm yeah. not necessarily sure what this player was supposed to do differently to not cause a collision like that. So it's just, it's very difficult. Like who was it? Uh, Smoke Monday. I mean, what was he ejected like five times in his career for targeting? I swear every other Auburn game I watched, that guy was on the bench with his helmet off because he'd already been ejected. Like, is it, like you get ejected for punching someone in the nuts, you know, like mm-hmm. doing something that's just dirty. That's just not, that's just not a part of the game. Like to, to get ejected from the game for hitting a guy an inch above where you're supposed to hit him. It's like, that's, that's a lot to ask. And, and that's the number one thing they have to do. It's like, these guys are playing differently, but you have to be reasonable and tell them like, how are they supposed to play? Like, how would how how was he supposed to hit that guy and not target him? So that Auburn one versus Penn State was probably one of the worst ones on the goal line where like he's just supposed to let him score apparently instead of uh instead of hitting him the way they did. So mm-hmm. the bottom line, the rule's not going anywhere. I don't think there's necessarily a problem with the rule. I think they are a little uh they're a little picky with it because like it's like a strike zone. Like that's not how football works. It's not a strike zone. I'm just trying to make a tackle on this super athletic player, but the way they enforce it, the way the, the punishment, there's, there's something they got to do about it. Mm. Or the, and, yeah. And then the last one is if your helmet comes off, you can stay in the game and I'm on board for that. I'm not yeah. really sure why that rule was ever passed in the first place. It's one of those things we just accepted as college football fans and we're, or just football fans in general. And we moved yeah. on. It's like, it's never like someone tore it off, I guess to prevent people from just ripping it off. But like if it ever has been ripped off, it's like uh, a defensive lineman, like uppercutting the offensive lineman into submission and just the helmet flies off or 
something like that or a bad stiff arm yeah, that turned into a face mask. something the defense did to yeah. the offensive player. And now he's got to go out of the game for a play. Yeah, we sh- I, that's an obvious one. But I, it's just I, like, I, this is why we needed a czar, Matt Green. This is why you need to take the ropes. It's like, we just need someone who's responsible for this stuff and get it done instead of just like leaving it up to a committee that will never do it. Like we're seeing how the college football playoff committee is going. Just great work all around. So it's while I just, appreciate your offer, I'm really mm-hmm. pushing for the uh, the job of uniforms are. <laughs> so I don't know if I could do both. You know, I'd, I'd give it a shot, yeah. you know, if you want me to. Well, I can do but, it. Um, I mean, no one worries. Thing that, but this was one because like in his explanation, he's just like, I see this called and I just think, why? Like, why is that guy having to leave the field? And it, it reminded me of a game I was watching earlier. Like we were watching uh, earlier this season with a friend of mine, his wife. It, they called a uh, illegal man downfield. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why? Why did they call that? You know, and we're just like, oh, you can't be, you know. Was it like two, two, three yards past line of scrimmage when the ball is in the air? And she's just like, why? And I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why that rule exists. Like, I don't know why a lineman can't go downfield and block on a passing play. Maybe the listeners have some more some more educated college football or football history fans out there that know how this was being exploited like what were teams doing that's like okay no you can't just go down field while you're passing like i don't know i had no explanation for why that rule existed yeah i'm not sure i really have no idea um but now i'm it's curious just, i was just like you just can't do that you can't go down email field us as play that's email us at chase podcast gmail.com or drop the comment on youtube or on youtube at uh, chase Holmes podcast so drop it in there if you know the answer to that um all right matt green that's all I've got. Do you got anything else you want to you wanna hit on as we wrap up here on the full ride? That's all I got, man. Just congratulations to my guy, Matthew Stafford, mm-hmm. Super Bowl champs. First, mm-hmm. first quarterback to ever throw three touchdowns in the Super Bowl and not be named Super Bowl MVP. Fun huh. fact for you. He wasn't MVP, though. It was Donald, and Donald didn't get it because I don't know, man. I would have given it to Stat. That 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 second pick, I think that's what did it. The second interception, even though it totally wasn't his fault, I think that's why they're like, "Oh, we can't give a guy two picks. Can't give him the MVP." Or just because Aaron Donald made the two biggest plays of the game back to back, like Donald slowing down P Ryan and then getting a the sack on the next play. Like every Aaron Donald was just unreal. Like because if you yeah, saw in that last play, Jamar Chase is wide open streaking down the I side he, he toasted Jalen Ramsey again if Burrow doesn't get pulled down by uh Aaron Donald in that pass rush game's over Bengals went no that's true. Aaron Donald, that. but Cooper Cup I, I wouldn't have argued Aaron Donald over Stafford Cooper mm-hmm. Cup I feel like the play that did it for Cooper Cup was the the go ahead, touchdown lead, the fourth down the fourth oh, that was a good call yeah in the 30. it's like as much as he did in receiving like that's that's his role you know mm-hmm. for him to take a run play like a big crucial situation i mean they were what on the neck like, their own 30 when they ran that they were like that was a that was well, a the game was on the line play. they had to go yeah but, uh, i respect but stafford it. you saw the no look dime like stafford he's been doing that stuff for years and uh in detroit just glad he's finally um finally getting his due and i'm glad i'm glad dan orvlosky we got a we got a big time national guy that's in the in the stafford corner I did love, though, there was in the broadcast earlier and Twitter was talking about it where it was like, if you're not from Texas, you might have missed this. But like he's from Highland Park, Texas, I think. Yeah. And they were making it seem like he was some 
country cowboy. It was like a small town. Yeah, and it's like, no, that's the suburb, the richest suburb in Dallas. And we're like, yeah. immediate income was like 300 and something thousand. It was like, mm. It was like, I saw something. It was like the the average, I think it was, yeah, like the median house last year <laughs> sold for over a million dollars. Yeah, it's I like, all know. right, Stafford's not a, yeah. It's, he's I not saw, the, I saw a great t- uh, comment on Twitter, mm-hmm. though. Someone said, uh, it's a small town because they don't allow the poor people to live there. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought it was pretty great. Oh, my God. I, I mean. <sighs> yeah, Highland Park. And I think she uh, went to Wesleyan. Uh, his wife. Kelly? Yeah. Like Wesleyan so. in Georgia? Yeah, Wesleyan. Yeah. Oh, when she's it, a Wesleyan wolf. Oh, yeah. So they, uh, they, they're not, their, their parents weren't doing poorly. Let's, let's no. put it that way. Nice choice, choice of words there too. Stafford is not doing bad either. I think, uh, I think that's where a lot of the, the criticism from Stafford came to begin with was just how much money he was making. He was, he maximized the quarterback, uh, just earnings like his, well, i think the issue is the, no no the issue is that the rookie he, contract true. deal like right after sam bradford so stafford mm-hmm. was like one of the last ones to get in on that and then once his time was up for a big contract well you have to sign the franchise quarterback because that's just the the hostage that nfl teams are held to so mm-hmm. yeah i don't know um, but either way, he got the win. I think Stetson Bennett's like, oh no, he's from the country. Like, go go check out or Jake <laughs> Fromm. Like, no, those are country kids. Go to Houston County or Houston County, wherever. Like, it no, is no, 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 it is Houston. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, just go down there. Like, no, there that that would be an accurate representation of what you're trying to say here. You don't have to lie about it. Just like, don't don't do that. You don't have. We, to do that. we didn't. They don't have to both be from small towns. We, right. There, was, there exactly. was no angle. There was no Joe Burrows from here and Savage from yeah. there. Like, just we go, don't have to do that. To the next story. Yeah. Let's just not pretend. Let's let's just not do that. Because like he heard, had. Mm. I heard someone. Um, sorry to cut you off. No, someone no. talk about uh Pittsburgh. They were like the low key, the all time Pittsburgh team. Like they got some superstars that have come out of Pittsburgh. Like with Aaron mm-hmm. Donald, Dan Marino, Larry, Larry Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald, Tony Dorsett. Like they had a nice uh, Lashawn McCoy. Nice little yeah, Lashawn McCoy. Um, Darrell oh. Revis is Pittsburgh. Tony Dorsett, man. Yeah, I said Tony Dorsett. Oh, okay. Yeah, Darrell Revis was Pittsburgh. So. Uh, Tyler Kafko. What was his name? So they, what they was our guy? Guys. What was our guy? I remember I had to look this up. The Southpaw from the early two thousands. Um, oh, was that? Was that, that the guy who um, who was, was throwing a Fitzgerald? Of, Ahead of Flacco? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They had Joe Flacco in there for a little bit, but then he became a Delaware Blue Hen where he was always meant to be. Shout yeah, out to the Blue Hens. I feel like Jalen Hurts seems like the only quarterback that like reps the originals college more than the, the one he ended up at. Like he seems like more of an Alabama guy than an Oklahoma guy at this point. That is true. Like Joe Burrow's I, not ref in Ohio State. Justin Fields isn't a ref in Georgia. I mean, he well, did I mean, have, I guess he had three years at Alabama. Makes it a little different. I was going to say, he actually played. Like Joe Burrow was buried behind Dwayne Haskins. That's I think true. he isn't. That's a different, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Um, for That's fair. Guys. I'll give him that. Matt Green, follow you on Twitter. Matt underscore W underscore Green. Guess what, folks? This very podcast on this very feed every Thursday morning. Uh, so look out for that. Um, college football every week. No offseason. All kinds of stuff next week. I think we got in the East. Who should we hit? I think we've hit Mizzou. We've hit South Carolina. We've hit um, Vanderbilt. 
And I think next week we should hit uh, either Kentucky or Tennessee. Who do you want to hit next? Um, are we going order of finish? Is that? Well, I guess we going? go order of finish. Then we should do Florida, right? We gotta do Tennessee next if we're going. No, ah, I'm just throwing a little, throwing a little shade your way. We can do Tennessee next week. I'm fine with that. Hendo Cinco. However you'd like to do it, sir. Hendo Cinco. This is is the Chase Thomas podcast, and this is the full Mm -hmm. ride on the Chase Thomas podcast. But this Mm -hmm. is is your world, sir, and I'm I'm just living in it. The Chase Thomas podcast, as people forget, just to make sure, like, this is the the Chase Thomas podcast (laughs) featuring Matt Green. Disrespectful right there, right? (laughs) I won't stand for it. Matt Green, always a pleasure. Tell Maddox and uh, Zeus hi uh khaleesi also says hi uh we just need to do a, a spinoff pod of just the the three of them <laughs> talking ball like uh like their parents so matt green always a pleasure and i will talk to you next week all right folks that'll do it for this edition of the chase Thomas podcast the full ride here on the chase Thomas podcast with matt green fellow university of north georgia alumni matt green so go ahead and give him a follow tonight uh today however you are listening at matt underscore w underscore green and uh, yeah, make sure to leave this episode a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast. It helps other folks find the show. Uh, don't forget, you can watch this very podcast at uh, at YouTube. So just go to youtube.com, the Chase Thomas Podcast, type it in, and hit that subscribe button, like it, share it out, all that good stuff, thumbs up. And uh, it helps as we get the uh, video component of this very program locked and loaded uh, going forward. Um, make sure to go check out sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com, my daily newsletter. That's me, the Sports Renaissance Man. Type in your email. That's simple. And uh, as always, you can email us with any college football questions you might have or any questions about the show, uh, anything like that, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to give myself a follow at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer uncle Derek, how'd i do Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.